0: Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 13 is where we'll be this morning. Acts chapter 13. It was a rainy morning in the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II, and there was a man there, I read this in one of my favorite books, his name was William Hoops of Chattanooga. He was crouching beside a medic named Kelly, who put his head above a protective ridge with binoculars to see uh, of gunfire in the area. There was a sniper that was peppering the area. So the men were trying to acquire the location of the sniper. So Kelly puts his head above the ridge into his binoculars for just a second at the sniper. And it's in that instant that the sniper shot him through the Adam's apple. Hoops. Sitting next to him was a pharmacist assistant himself. He struggled frantically to save his friend. These were his words himself. He said, I took my forceps and reached into his neck to grasp the artery and to clench it off. His blood was spurting. He had no speech, but his eyes were on me. He knew that I was trying to save his life. I tried everything in the world. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I tried. The blood was so slippery I couldn't get the artery. I was trying so hard. All the while, he just looked at me. He looked directly into my face, and the last thing he did while the bleeding grew less and less was he patted me on the arm as to say, that's all right. And then he died. In the midst of a world that is perishing and passing away in their sin, don't we want to be like William Hoops, able to say, I was trying so hard, I did all I could. I did everything I could to keep my friends, family, and co-workers from perishing. I did what I could do. Now, here's the reason why you might not be able to say that, or you might not be able to do that. Why might you be able to say, "I, I did everything I can, I could, I did it all? Because you gave up or you gave in to backlash and opposition trying to be a life-giving hand to the perishing as you present them the gospel. So for you to be able to look back on your life and say, I did all I could, I did, I did, I mean, sure, you'll be able to pick yourself apart. Sure, you'll be able to second guess yourself. Uh, and, peop, and you've probably already been in that situation. Someone passed away, and you wish that you had more gospel opportunities with that person, or you wish you said something uh, more to them. But to, to go out with a clear conscience, to be able to say, we've done all that we can we're going to have to endure some things. We're going to have to keep going, even when we don't want to keep going on Jesus' mission. I say that because of here in Acts chapter 13, and verses 42 through 52 that we read earlier, we see that Paul and Barnabas go out, and, and last... A couple of weeks ago, last year, we looked at the missionary message. Now we see the blowback, or the uh, fallback, or however you want to say it—the the response to the gospel message—and it's not all good. If you've ever tra- tried to share the gospel with a coworker, you know it—it's it, it's not all good. It's not all uh, lollipops and roses. Uh, Why do people say that? It's not all sweet tea and sirloin and ribeye steaks when you share the gospel, right? Their response isn't, well, I'll take you to uh, the steakhouse. That's not really how it goes. So we're going to need to endure here. Now, why would we endure here in this gospel work, in following Jesus, in sharing his gospel? Why would we keep going Well, here in these 10 verses that we look at today, we're going to need to know these three things about this gospel message that we are carrying in order to keep carrying it when we face opposition. So you ready to see what these are? I am. So let's look at these and Benita has your bulletin. We'll go by the outline in that just for fun. Uh, in in that. Uh, But, so, ultimately, right, the main point in here is that this gospel message is a divine message for the nations about a divine appointment. Wouldn't that be handy if I gave her that information to put in the bulletin, right? The, (laughs) The gospel is a divisive message about a divine appointment For the nations. So let's break that apart and see that in the text. Don't just take my word for it. Take God's word for it. In Acts chapter 13, we see them carrying out Jesus' mission from the front lines. And we learn these three things about the gospel in order to endure when hostility strikes. So... We look at this journey, the first thing we see about this gospel is uh, the divisive nature of it. So, one, you must know that the gospel is divisive to endure suffering. Ahead of time, you must know that it's going to divide before it unites to the, the people of God you got to know that ahead of time. Verses 42 and 43, the people beg Paul to come back and speak more to them. This is a good point, that in verses 42 and 43, people aren't going to kiss your feet when you tell them that they're separated from a holy God and God came to them and Jesus died on the cross, rose on the third day, and they must turn from their sin and trust in Him. They might not kiss your feet, but it doesn't mean that nobody's going to respond. We give in to that lie, right? When, I, when we hear the gospel is divisive, we normally think that it's that, that means it's negative, a negative thing, right? That they're, that they're, you're going to see backlash and persecution from it. Yeah, you probably will. But don't believe this lie that nobody is going to believe. Don't believe that lie. That's a lie. It's going to be divisive. Why are you silent with this gospel? You're like, well, they're not going to go for that. That's not true. That's not true. They might. They're begging Paul to come back and like they didn't do a sinner's prayer here in this verse, but they they they're hungry. They have an appetite. They want more in verses forty two and forty three. And Paul and Barnabas encourage them to continue in the grace of God. Now it never says here specifically that they were Christians at this point, but we know that they that these people there was a recognition that they had been given a gift from God that they should continue in. So we see the same in Jesus in the parable of the seeds in Matthew 5 and 1 John 2, that the evidence of the Christian journey, the evidence of actually you being a Christian, is that journey song. That you're on this journey, that journey song describes it. You don't stop believing. You keep going. If they were, they went out from us. First John two, they went out from us because if they were of us, then they would have remained with us. So, the grace of God, he urged them and encouraged these people who were hungry for this, that they should continue in the grace of God. That's what they're told by the missionaries. Verse forty four. Fast forward to the next Sabbath where the whole town comes and we see the reaction to the gospel on a large scale. Notice verse 45 with me. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul Paul reviling him. So there were some hungry, and he says, keep going in this gift that you've received from God. There were people who didn't like that. So they began to contradict them. So they react in three ways. If you look down at the passage, the crowds that Paul and Barnabas draw, uh, one, they were filled with jealousy, two, they contradict the message, and three, they revile Paul himself. So I say you need to know these things ahead of time. Put them in your mind in order for you to be faithful, to do all you can to endure persecution, trouble, and heartache in the middle of getting this gospel to the world on Jesus' mission, you need to know ahead of time that they are going to react this way probably to you. One, they're jealous. Why? Because it, it robbed them of the pride that they had been given grace. Two, they contradict. There's going to be people who argue with you against this. And three, if you can't win an argument, start a fight. Right? How many people you know who actually do that kind of thing? If I can't win the argument, I start a fight because maybe I'll win that. So if I can't beat the truth that you're telling, maybe I can call you mean names. If I can't argue with what you're saying, maybe I can argue with you as a person. Like you stink. I mean, that's true. I'm wrong, but you stink. You know, Uh, that is, that's what's going on in our culture. Uh, If you can't win an argument, then uh, revile the person making the argument in order to try to weaken them because you can't argue against truth. Now... uh, That's what happened to Jesus uh, and Lazarus in John chapter 11, verse 38. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and then all of a sudden, there is a trophy of Jesus' miracle-working power walking around Galilee. And, you know, at that point, they say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation— and then there was a hit put out on the, they wanted to silence Lazarus. So the gospel is divisive, just like this, to where you tell this truth, you will personally be attacked if they can't attack the truth strongly enough. So next, they were jealous, no doubt. They begin to contradict what Paul said. And that didn't work, so they contradicted Paul himself at this point. So the immediate aftermath of the sermon is one group of people begging to hear more. Begging to hear more. And others who are railing against the preacher. They didn't go to the back and shake his hand. They wanted him to die. Real quick for the preachers in the room, does the response to the sermon say anything about the truth therein? It doesn't really, does it? It doesn't really say. Because Paul's here preaching the truth, and if somebody wants to wring his neck, then it doesn't say anything about what he just said. So, The aftermath of this is a division between the two. The same reaction occurs in chapter 14, verse 3. Some sided with the Jews trying to stone the apostles at that point, while others sided with them. So the Puritans would put it like this, "...the same sun who melts the wax hardens the clay." You don't know, right? You don't know. The gospel goes out, it either melts them like wax, it affects them, or it hardens them like clay and you have no idea which one it is. Jesus puts this divisive nature this way in Luke 12. He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from one from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three two, against two, and two against three. So, we can expect two scenarios. The gospel being preached divides households, strains friendships. This means that it's a normal thing for you to share the gospel with that person and you're not as close as you used to be. That's a hurtful thing, though, isn't it? Have you lost friends for the gospel's sake? Have you? If you do, if you have, that's okay. That's okay. If you hadn't if you had kept your mouth shut, you'd have to stand for before God for that. You'd be able to say I did all I could. I told them. I told them the truth. So, the gospel being preached is going to divide and second response that we see here is that there's going to be a mixed reaction. People are going to beg to hear more. So, know ahead of time that what you are handling is divisive in nature. Know ahead of time that it's not going to be turned off by everybody. There's going to be a response, and some are going to believe, some are going to beg, but not everybody. That's why they say, At at family reunions, and there's all kinds of jokes this time of year, at Christmas and Thanksgiving, there's a couple things you don't talk about. The Bengals and the Reds. No, no, what? Politics and religion. You don't talk about those things at family functions. Why do they say that? Because they're divisive. They're divisive. However, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a faithful Christian, then you're going to need to figure out how to talk about this divisive message. And the first way that you're going to do that, even when it gets hardest to know ahead of time, that it's going to do that. Not only is it divisive, But you must know that the gospel is for the nations to endure suffering. So after being rejected by Paul, or rejected Paul and Barnabas, turn their attention to the non-Jewish people at this point. Ultimately the nations. They explain their their reasoning in this in verse 47, if you want to look down at it in your Bible. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So uh, Isaiah 49, 6, in which the prophet says, God's servant will bring Israel back to him and bring salvation to the world. It's being quoted. This prophecy was... It was Christ's mission, and it motivated him to bring the gospel outside of Israel at this point. So notice what he's doing. He's saying that what's compelling him to go is the mission of Christ. Here's that mission in verse 47, if you look down at it, is to be a light. And if you're you're reading your Bible in a year with us, and I hope you are, you go back there on that little piece of paper and you'd see Genesis 1 is today as it normally is. And and it struck me when I was reading it this morning is that there was something shining in the beginning and God called it light. Like light. I'm going to invent it. I'm going to create it. The one who names it he created it. He also creates the Christian that he tells to be like that to be a light in verse forty seven darkness symbolizes lack of direction, lostness. some of you all know we we 're in a move uh, an eternal move uh, and we we have all of most of our things here in Frankfurt and we're I have to uh, There's like a NASCAR track between the garage and the bathroom, you know, to where we're carrying stuff. And in the dark, it's really hard to manage that. You got your stuff in your house, right? Like you can go in your house, you can close your eyes, and you can go make yourself a sandwich in the dark. You could, you could. They're like, I'm going to make some chocolate milk. Blindfolded in this place. Oh, and the light bulb went out? I'll go get another one. Blindfolded in this place. I probably could do that. You could Probably navigate your entire house like that. See, I can't. But the world out there can't either in the dark. They're stumbling in the dark out there. And in the scriptures, we see that this Dark symbolizes lostness, confusion. And by definition, light does invade darkness. It brings salvation, clarity, direction. You know where that sandwich meat is. He's saying that we ought to be a light here. It's our responsibility. Now, this is what Jesus said, and this, this is um, a motivation and set the tone for how he wanted things done. In Matthew 5:14, he says, His followers are a light to their local communities. Hmm. They're a light to their house. If you know anything about Matthew chapter 5, he says that we are a light to the world, a light to the world. Jesus is a light of the world. So he didn't say locally necessarily, but globally. Now, do we have a local responsibility? Absolutely. Let's not forget that we have a local responsibility. Let's not forget that we have a global responsibility because Jesus is the light of the world. So, Christ and our mission is to be a light, to bring salvation there in verse 47. That you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth, in verse 47. That is what he is saying. He's not saying that the world is flat at this point, and like, you just... Be careful, take that gospel to the ends of the earth, but don't step over that because then you'll fall off. Something odd like that. No, he's saying that we are to be God's agent in salvation to the entire earth, the entire earth. So here we are staring down, as I said, we are staring down the barrel of an entire year worth of opportunity of serving the Lord, being faithful in what he's called us to do, Oh, what opportunities we have before us this year. And one of those opportunities, via the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, is to impact the gospel to the entire world. To the entire world. It was August 23rd, 1966, that this planet Earth that we see right now got its first selfie. I don't... what. Yeah, you, so some of y'all, let me just tell you, it's so when you take your phone and you're, you turn it on yourself and you take pictures of yourself. If you've ever been on the internet, people post those. Um, in 1966, the earth got its own selfie. What do I mean by that? Cameras from the space capsule aimed back at the Earth and took a picture of it for the very first time. We saw what we look like as a planet from space at this point. And those who were present with the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham said he responded to the television broadcast of the shot by saying, God, it's so small Let's just reach out and take it. Meaning, you saw this picture of the earth and it just looks like a ball. Like, that's what we are, a ball of different colors. And the space capsule shot back at it and it just looks like this this round ball. Billy Graham's response was, that is, it looks so small, let's just reach out and grab the thing. And you go, well, man, that... That is a massive thing. And the task of global missions looks massive and impossible, and far-fetched and distant. But let's change the perspective for a minute. See, that's from where you're sitting. That's from where you're sitting. I want you to think about from where God is sitting, in His perspective. From God's perspective, from a God-eye view, is it impossible to impact this entire world with the gospel and be a light and bring salvation to the Gentiles, to the nations? I reference you back to our Bible reading. He called it light. He he, he made an expanse. He called it the heavens. And he kind of balled up some dirt with his words. And he called it earth. And yet, have you forgotten that him who called all of those things called you to reach those nations? He called all things into existence and he calls us to reach with salvation to the ends of the earth. He said, let there be light. And there was. He said, let there be everything. And there was. Now he's saying, let the gospel go forth to the nations. Will it? Will it? Via us. God, it's so small, let's just reach out and take it. So, Paul went on to take the gospel to the nations. He didn't let this rejection stop him. The quote in verse 47 was something Israel failed at doing because they thought that the promises of God only applied to them. And that everybody else was dirty and somehow undeserving. Undeserving but instead he has made us a light to the gentiles and the nations in order to bring salvation to the ends of the earth once again we are face to face with a question that we've seen here in the book of acts is what role will you play in god getting his gospel to the nations will you be a stumbling block will you be a stepping stone will you be a goer or a cinder or both what role, right? Not a. are you going to play a role, but what role? That's what we must do. And then, on the other hand, so the, to be a light, bring salvation. Now we see the response in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This is... theological underpinning for why the gospel is divisive and some believe, why anybody believes. It's because of verse 48. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This is why the gospel is going to be successful because God appoints to eternal life. That's why it'll be successful. These are the these Gentiles in the earshot of the apostle. He, commit, he condemns the Jews for their unbelief, and they hear that God's salvation is coming their way, and they rejoice, and they give glory to this message of salvation. We see in this passage. That God is the one who is doing this. So, verse forty-eight. So, here's what happens, right? What am I saying? God appoints like that—that that He is a robot, and or that we're all robots, and, and our choices aren't significant and they don't matter. Well, many of us believe this verse in verse, in the reverse of the of the verse. I don't know if you caught what I said there, right? The inverse or the reverse of the verse. You believe the verse in reverse. Do you know what it, it, it means when we believe verses in reverse? We believe verses backwards? That's called twisting scripture. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to twist the scriptures. We want to believe the scriptures. We don't write the scriptures. We read the scriptures and we believe the scriptures. So verse 48 says this, they heard the message, they rejoiced and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, because how do we normally think about salvation? We normally think that we believe, and then God goes, I see a believer over there. Oh, we got a believer in the back row. You're saved, brother. As some preacher put it, God casts his vote, the devil casts his vote, and, and you're back there going, uh, let's see, uh, Smoking or non? Uh, let's see, do I, for eternity, do I want the smoking section or the non-smoking section? Oh, God's got this offer on the table, but that devil, man, he's got, ooh, he drives a Coupe de Ville. Uh, okay, um, but that's not necessarily biblical, is it? That God casts a vote, the devil casts a vote, and here we are going, oh, I've got so many options. I've got so many options. i got so many options they both look good. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, like, it, it's just, wow. They both want me. God and the devil want me. Oh, man. Which one do I want? See, this one, oh. Hmm. And we believe. And then God points us to eternal life. Now, here's the problem. Um, that's not what the verse says. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible teaches. Um, We were dead in the trespasses and sins which we once walked. So we are not making any appointments. Our appointments books is closed. Our our decisions are closed. There's, There's nothing working in that. It doesn't go anywhere. That dog won't hunt. That dog won't do anything. It's dead. So what has to happen? God has to have a divine appointment with us. This is passive here, right? As were appointed. And they believed. Now, belief is the response. The appointment is what God does. What God does precedes what we do, always. So, not only must we know that the gospel is divisive and that the gospel is for the nations, but also that the the gospel is God's divine appointment for us to endure suffering. It's God's divine appointment. You saw that in verse 48. That's how, in the midst of the reviling and the arguing, that anybody believed. Who's going to do anything in the middle of this mess? Who's going to do it? God appointed them to eternal life, and the result was they respond. They believe. Now, do cars have carburetors still? Anybody want to answer that one for me? Yes or no? I don't know. <laughs> you can tell me anything. You'd be like, there's five carburetors under that hood. I'd be like, okay, there's five carburetors, right? I don't understand the engine. I don't. Don't stick anything in the tailpipe. Nothing, brother. Don't put anything in the tailpipe of that car. But I know that it works. And I know how it works. You put gas and oil in it, or you can't take it anywhere. You can't. So, how does God's appointing to eternal life work? I don't know. I don't know. I just know that He does. And how does it work? You believe. You believe. You believe. You believe. believe. God has a divine appointment with you and you believe in him you respond to him you are responsible for getting the gospel out to people who will believe and the only reason they believe will not is not something innate in them or something that God saw that they would eventually do but they believe because God and God is the only reason that anyone believes So that's why we shouldn't be shy and hesitant about this gospel because God is the one who appoints to eternal life. God is the one who gives belief. God is the one who creates Christians. He creates Christians out of the dead. He does it. We owe it all to Him. So today, if you're not a Christian... Might God be making an appointment with you this year to change your life and to save your soul? See, God is holy and righteous and just, and He created everything that He spoke it into existence in six days with His mouth. He created in His image, created us in His image, and we rebelled against Him. God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus, who lived the sinless perfect life after being born of a virgin. Figure that one out. Only God. Hence why we just had Christmas and celebrated that. Well, that baby grew up. I hate to spoiler alert. The baby grew up. He became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus. He lived the perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins and rose on the third day victorious over life, hell, death, and the grave, and everything in between, and that chasm that that your sin and rebellion and your desire to be God separated you to your creator, Jesus has brought that chasm to an end by the sacrifice of himself. With his blood, he purchased men for God from every tribe, tongue, nation, language on the earth. And he has a divine appointment with you. For salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to be over to the side. You can come get me. God has come to you, and He desires for you to turn to Him from everything you've done against Him. He will forgive you of that. If you're uh, if you're a Christian, why would you endure anything? Why would you endure suffering with this gospel? Why would you do that? Because you know that It's going to be divisive, this message, you know ahead of time. You're not not fooled into thinking that everybody's going to kiss you when you share the gospel with them. You know this gospel is not just for you, it's for the nations, and it's God's divine appointment with them. So don't give up. Keep going. Even when it gets hard, you want to be able to say, I've done all I can. Their blood is not on my hands. So let's Pray towards that end, go towards that end, give towards that end to be faithful in 2023. Let's pray and respond as our worship leaders come this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word and how good it is to be in the presence of your spirit with your word open. Please do work among us. Please give us fresh Passion, fresh commitment to getting the gospel out and enduring opposition. Show us things in your word about yourself. (laughs) Change us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.